0: All right, if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and today we're going to be talking about spiritual temptations. We've reached this part in Luke's Gospel. Chronologically speaking, Jesus has just been baptized. Please keep that in mind. And the heavens opened, and the Father said, Thou art my beloved, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately after that, Jesus heads out into the wilderness, for this great temptation. Let's read together just a couple of verses. Verse 1, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. Now what happens after that for the next several verses is the actual temptations that the devil gives at the end of the forty days. But did you see in verse 2, 40 days he tempted him. And then at the, at the end of it, there are these three climactic, if you can say, you know, big ones at the end that kind of sum up all of temptation. Verse 13, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him, but watch the end of it, for a season. He was going to make another run at him. And he does before the end. But before we speak any further, let's bow our heads together. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning as we begin to look at this very important passage. I pray that you bring the truth. Just let it leap off the page and into our heart. I pray that you might fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray you might minister to the people today. Give them ears to hear. Prepared and ready hearts. And let the seed fall into good ground. We pray that you'd chew away the fowls of the air that want to steal that seed. Father, we don't want to be distracted physically or spiritually. We just want to hear from you. And we ask for your help to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in verse number one, we see Jesus' condition as he's heading out into the wilderness. It says he's full of the Holy Ghost. That's inside. And then it says he was led by the Spirit. That's outside. Remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about how you can be filled with the Spirit. That's one thing. But then you can have the hand of God on you. You can have the Spirit of God on you. That's a separate thing. Jesus has both. The Spirit inside is working and communicating with Him and leading Him inside, right? That inner voice, if you will. But then also pointing Him the way. Just like Israel had to spend some time in the wilderness, 40 years, Jesus, 40 days, in the wilderness of this desert, can I just say quickly that just because you feel like you're in a desert time of your life, in a wilderness time, it may not be that you've done anything wrong. The Spirit of God might have guided you to that difficult moment in your life. Now, let's be careful. It could be that you put yourself there. Isn't that true of Israel? God tried to get him into the promised land. He wanted them to go in and have the victory just like that. He gave them all the necessary means. He gave them the promise to overcome the giants, and they said, we can't do it. They doubted the promise of God, and then they had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. So it can be that the wilderness is your doing. But don't jump to that conclusion. You might be going through something tough right now so that God can teach you something incredibly important now that you will need to know for the next three and a half years. Jesus, you're about to embark on the most difficult ministry the world has ever heard of. For three and a half years, you are going to endure more pressure than any single human being has ever endured on this planet. And it's not that he went without food, but he did. It's not that he didn't have enough to drink sometimes, which he experienced that. It's not that he didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't own a pillow. Although that happened to him, but that wasn't the big challenge. The big challenge was not that society was not going to accept him. You know, he wasn't going to be socially popular. That wasn't the big challenge. I think we read about this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry to emphasize the real challenge. It wasn't a physical one. The battle Jesus came to fight was not a physical one. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. The reason Jesus felt more pressure than any other person was because of the spiritual activity going on while He's trying to serve God. And I believe this shines a light on just how real that spiritual battle is. Now, it does highlight the reality of it. I hope that this morning you are made more aware of how real it is. You folks realize that what's going on this morning is not just an American talking to South Africans. You do get that, right? That, that as I'm speaking and as you're listening, there are spiritual entities moving about. You do know that. Jesus told us this. That's why we believe that, that as the sower goes forth to sow the seed, which is the preacher giving out the Word of God, that the fowls of the air are trying to pluck up those seeds, yes? And Jesus told us what those birds are. They are unclean spirits. So we must be aware of the fact that, yes, we're, we're in a building, we're physically here, but there are also some spiritual things going on in this building. You all, oh, Brother Mike, you know, I don't believe in all those ghost stories and all of that. Sure you do. Sure you do. Most, and I'm not talking about the Tokolos. I'm not talking about that. I I, I guarantee almost everybody in this room believes in ghosts because you believe in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) We, We have to recognize the reality of a spiritual world, a spiritual realm. And I dare say that it's, can I say more real? I don't know if that's the right term, but maybe it's more influential than the physical stuff. Now, it's real, but I, say, I don't say this to scare you. you and go, oh, no, what's going on around me? You know what this story teaches us? There's a way to overcome it. That even the most aggressive attack of the devil can be overcome. The Apostle John writes it like this. He's writing to in 1 John 2 to the fathers, to older men. He writes to young children. Then he writes to young men. That's me. Don't laugh. <laughs> that's just wrong, Tony. Don't laugh. <laughs> I- I'm just going to leave that joke there. I-, 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 I could go a while on that. that. That's me. I'm a young man. He says, I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. This is written to me. <laughs> and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. He's writing this to people that are young-ish in their faith, right? like the adolescence of their faith. He says, you guys are overcoming the wicked one, but not because of your strength or zeal, because you have the Word of God abiding in you. So, uh, spoiler alert, I'm sure you know how this story goes. Every time the devil tempts Jesus, his response is to pull out the sword of the Spirit and say, but it is written, it is written, it is written. So, we shine the light today on this story not to scare you, right? There's no verse in the Bible that says we should fear the devil. The Bible says we are to resist him by being steadfast in the faith. You need to know why you believe what you believe. This is a winnable battle. We've we've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. The Bible will tell us how to properly think about these spiritual attacks and how to overcome them. In verse number two, as I've pointed out, being 40 days tempted of the devil. In Matthew and in in Mark, you read about the temptation, but Jesus fasts the 40 days, and then afterwards, these three things. Only in Luke's gospel do you get this information that during the 40 days that's the way it's worded here he is tempted and then there's this culmination there are some things we learn about the devil from this story i don't want to spend the entire sermon on it so i'm just going to give you the three three things that i i've found here number one he's active he doesn't wait until the 40 days are over throughout the 40 days he's busy tempting the lord You know, all the way back there in Job 1, you guys remember that story where Satan presents himself before the Lord? Remember that? And the Lord asked him a question. From whence comest thou? Where where, where are you coming from? You know what his answer was? From walking up and down in the earth and going to and fro. He's just going here and there. He's active. He's all over the place. That's Job 1. Arguably the oldest book in the Bible. Job. And you know what you get in the New Testament? almost 2000 years later 1 Peter chapter 5 be sober be vigilant for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion what does he do walks about seeking whom he may devour from job all the way to peter whence comest thou walking to and fro going up and down he it's present continuous it's all the time he he, he it's not that he walked or he will walk he just walks about he's active number 2 he's ambitious I learned that from this story. He goes after the big one. He's not interested in the the guy who's not trying to get close to God or make a difference for God. He's looking for that young man, that young lady that's trying to do something serious for the Lord. He's ambitious. For those that are backslidden, for those that don't care about the things of God, you are right where the devil wants you to be. He won't bother you. Why would he bother you? You might move. It's the one who has the hand of God on him who's filled with the Holy Ghost that should expect some spiritual pushback. The devil will be ambitious. And then thirdly, I learned this, that the devil is adamant. He's active, he's ambitious, he's adamant. This is to say he doesn't give up. If you overcome him today, don't think that that's the end end of that. I'll never deal with him again. We saw it in verse 13, didn't we? He departs but for a season. You know how the temptations go. If thou be the Son of God, right? Isn't that how they go? If thou be the Son of God, do this. If thou be the Son of God, do that. Now, fast forward three and a half years. You get to the cross. And here are the enemies of Christ walking by. Here he is nailed to the cross. You know what they say? If thou be the Son of God, come down. Yep, he showed back up. He's adamant. He's, ad- He's so adamant that one day... The angels are going to bind him hand and foot, right? After Jesus comes back, the battle of Armageddon, he is king of kings, lord of lords. Paradise has been reestablished on the world. Jesus is ruling. The devil is bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit, right? After a thousand years of peace on earth, the devil comes back out. You know what he does? He goes about to deceive all the nations again and pulls it off, by and large, deceiving almost everybody and God has to rain down fire and finish him off. After a thousand years, he's adamant. He's active, ambitious, adamant. You say, brother Mike, now I'm starting to get worried. That's why we're going to have this sermon. That's why we have this passage so that you realize the reality of our enemy, but that we can overcome him. We have been given all the armor of God. We should not fear, we should be prepared. And if you're prepared, there's no reason you walk out of here trembling at all. So let's look at a few things we learn from these stories. Verse 2, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. You know, it sounds as if he wasn't hungry for the 40 days. Right? What? (laughs) I don't know if any of you, this is just a side note on fasting, but... After you get past the first couple days, you you really don't feel as hungry as you think you would. I'm not saying you're not hungry. But I've heard this testimony from a number of people. That after a while, you just don't even worry about the food. But after 40 days, he's hungry. Verse 3, and the devil said unto him, if thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Right? For those of you keeping track on your outline, you can make this point one. Here's the spiritual temptation the devil is throwing at Jesus. To emphasize the natural more than the spiritual. To emphasize the natural more than the spiritual. Question. What's wrong with eating bread? Nothing. I know some of you are like, well, what is the place? <laughs> there's a problem if it's bread alone. But what is the place? But there's nothing wrong with eating bread, Correct. Especially after 40 days of a fast, it seems like this is not just necessary, but hey, you're just reward. Well done, you get the whole, you know, not just a piece of bread, but a cake or something. What's wrong with bread? Absolutely nothing. Look at Jesus' response in verse 4. He answered him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. In that answer, Jesus is acknowledging that man does not live by bread alone. So bread is okay as long as it's not alone. And that's that's the temptation. The devil will come in and try to get you to emphasize something that's not wrong, but it is not the most important thing and make you think that that natural, temporary bread, that's the whole goal of life. That's the whole show. You get the bread, you win. And that's not right. That's the temptation. Satan is incredibly subtle. Listen to what he does. For most of you in this room, I believe this to be true. He's not going to come to you and ask you to do something wrong. Something blatantly wrong. Like, go kill this person. Go rob this bank. Go use these drugs. For most of you, you, you are already determined not to do those kind of things. So rather, the devil will tempt somebody like yourselves to concentrate on something that is right, but just do it too much. You see, for Jesus, this was not, it's not wrong to eat bread unless the Father has told you it's time to fast. And when the Father says it's time to fast, His Word trumps your physical appetite. That doesn't mean the physical appetite is wrong. It means God's Word must be obeyed first. It gets the preeminence. Is there anything wrong with working a job? No. What about going to school? No. What about visiting family? No. What about having good quality family time here in town? I'm not talking about going out of town. Anything wrong with that? no having meals together no how about taking a lekker nap in the middle of the afternoon anything wrong with that no no what about playing sports anything wrong with that no nothing wrong with that until until it becomes sports alone education alone family alone until see, you say, well, Brother Mike, I, I have a little bit of God in my life. Then, If the devil cannot get you to exclude the spiritual so that it's only the physical, then he will try to get you out of balance and say, let's emphasize the natural, the temporal, the physical more than the spiritual, eternal, and godly. What about fasting? Prayer. Giving. Tithing. What about meditating in the Word? I I, want to make sure you heard what I said. Not reading the Word. Meditating in the Word. What about singing psalms? Did you know that's a biblical command? What about reaching out to the poor, to the lost, to the spiritually weak? Ministering to them. One way or the other. I want the reason I, I, I say those things. Just look at how much you emphasize that first list I gave you: working a job, going to school, visiting family. There's nothing wrong with that, until that becomes the major focus and goal. So much so that you begin to hide behind those things as an excuse for not minding the things of God like you should. Job said it best. He said like this, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed his word more than my necessary food. I mentioned Brother Verhoof is coming. When we were in Bible school, he taught me a few things. One, one thing he, he said, I asked him about his daily devotional life. You know, how, how do you read and pray? How do you go about that? He said, I have a rule. It's my rule. It's not a Bible rule. It's my rule. No Bible, no breakfast. Now that's his rule. You don't have to abide by that. But he made that rule for himself to keep the spiritual in the primary position. No Bible, no breakfast. You know, in life there are so many ladders that we try to climb. Corporate ladders, athletic ladders, financial ladders, family ladders. And when I say ladders, you understand we have goals at the top of that ladder. We, we want our family to be like this. We want our, our, our uh, career to be like this and our educational status to be like that. And most of these things are not wrong. No, nobody's condemning you for having those goals. But be very careful that you don't spend the rest of your life, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, climbing that ladder, you might just get to the top of it and realize that ladder was leaned up against the wrong building. You go, but what's wrong with the building of family? What's wrong with the building of, you know, the corporate ladder and the athletic ladder and what's wrong? Nothing, nothing's wrong with it unless that's the only ladder. There's an interesting correlation here. How many of you remember the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis? He has the dream, and there's a ladder going up to heaven. Remember that? And in in that dream, there's angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Remember that? You know what Jesus said about himself in John 1? He says to Nathanael, you're going to see the Son of Man with angels ascending and descending on him. That's Jesus nodding to Jacob's dream saying, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. And here's what's fascinating. You hear something like this, and the devil comes and says, oh, here's what the preacher is telling you. The preacher's telling you, you can't do any of those things. You can't have time with family. You can't have a job. You can't have athletics. You can't have money. You can't have any of that. All you gotta do is just pay attention to God. That is not what I'm saying. I don't want you to get this wrong. That's why I'm making it abundantly clear. This This is what you'll find if you'll prop your ladder up towards God. If he becomes the ultimate goal, as you climb God's ladder, as you grow in your knowledge and in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you will find that the athletics and the money and the family, all of that will fall into its perfect place. You'll get the just the right amount of time with them. You'll have the right emphasis on the money. You'll know how to spend it better. And you will enjoy all those other parts of life because God made those parts. God gave you those natural appetites, but they were never meant to be the appetite. They were never meant to take the place of the overwhelming hunger you should have for Him and for His Word. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Just be careful that the ladder you're climbing is leaned up against the right goal. One day the trumpet will sound and you'll stand before Jesus Christ. You will never again have a chance to emphasize. Let me say it this way. You'll never have the choice to emphasize the spiritual instead of the physical. Because the physical will be done. Heaven and earth one day will pass away. This is your one chance to show God how important He and His things are to you. And the devil wants to distract you from that. Make sure that you know just how important every word of God is. Verse number five, let's look at the next thing. The devil said unto him, uh, I'm, forgive me, verse five, the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, if I can just interject, Luke does not give us the chronology that Matthew does. Matthew, when he tells us the story, it's the stones to bread, then the pinnacle of the temple, then all the kingdoms of the earth and that's the correct chronology Luke does not tell us any of the timing he's just telling us the three parts of the story so there's nothing wrong with the way Luke did it he's just giving us the same information in a different order so verse five it says now the devil's taking Jesus to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time this had to have been some sort of visionary thing right I don't know, I mean, did he pull out an iPad and show it to him like that? Did he have a TV on the mountain and, you know, turn on the travel channel? I I don't know exactly how that looked. But he shows him in a moment of time, whew, here's everything you could have. Verse 6, and the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. The devil make a lot of promises. Did you know he can deliver on that? He can, but the devil's not God, so don't think that just because he promised you that kind of outcome that he won't crawfish on the deal. I hope you guys understand that southern reference there. He'll go back on the deal. It may not end up as good as you think, but in any event, verse seven, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. So don't do it God's way, just do it my way, and you'll take a shortcut. To get to this desired goal. Verse 8. Jesus answered and said unto him. Get thee behind me Satan. For it is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And him only shalt thou serve. He said devil. Jesus did not argue with him. About whether or not he had power. To give him the kingdoms. Jesus said. There is a right way to do it. And I am only going to fear. Or worship and serve. The Lord God. Verse number six. Do you realize that when the devil says, All this power will I give thee, the glory, Jesus is going to get all of that one day anyway? The Bible tells us in Revelation 11 that when he comes back, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. You do know that Jesus is, he's right now a prince to the kings of the earth, he's waiting. When he comes back, wins the battle of Armageddon, he is then king of kings and lord of lords. Now, he's king in heaven right now, no doubt. But please do not make the theological mistake of thinking that Jesus is in charge of everything going on on the earth right now. Oh my goodness, do you actually think Jesus is, is causing Putin to do what he's doing? <laughs> or running the South African government? Let's not blame that on him. <laughs> Jesus will one day get the crown of the kingdom. But it goes through the crown of thorns. You cannot have that crown of the kingdom without a crown of thorns. You cannot have a resurrection without a death. You cannot get the crown without a cross. I am all for the idea of working smarter rather than harder. The Bible even talks about this in Ecclesiastes 10. That if the, if the iron is blunt and you don't wet the edge, if you don't sharpen the edge of the axe, you've got to swing harder. You've got to use more strength. And then it says, but wisdom is profitable to direct. Sharpen the axe, now you're working smarter rather than harder. I'm all for that idea, but I am not for this cutting corners idea where we make a lazy society that expects something for nothing. And I mean, this is the world over. A welfare mentality has been created where we make people think they can do absolutely nothing and we owe them something for nothing. Now, I do know that, you know, secular, social, that's just how the government runs things. But can I break it down one step further? I think the problem actually starts in our homes. With this something for nothing attitude You know the Bible says that we're supposed to train up our children In the way they should go They should not be expecting something for nothing They shouldn't be able to Rebel against good behavior The rules of the house and God's word And still get all the blessings And rewards and prizes That you give them How many of you grew up in a home like this Where if you didn't eat your vegetables You couldn't leave the table Any of you had that? let's let's see I keep your hands up I want to see I, I'm looking for something specific yeah most of you are slightly older <laughs> <laughs> you know it, parents if I can speak to you just for a moment it will help your kids leaps and bounds if you establish some rules and stick with them and say booty sissy you are not leaving the table until the broccoli is off the plate and not in the dog's mouth not shoved in your pocket so that when I wash it later, it's spinning around in the washing machine. I'm talking about down the, down the hatch. Because they're going to scream and kick and pitch a fit. They want the ice cream, but they want the ice cream without the broccoli. Hey, brother, you want, you want the ice cream? Great, we all like ice cream. We want the glory of the ice cream, the kingdoms and all of it, man. I want the, you know, the, the chocolate sauce. and the, I want the whole thing. Eat your broccoli. And and until you do, you're just going to sit there at the table. Until you learn that lesson, that there are some corners I cannot cut. Folks, did you know that that's also true spiritually? There there is a temptation the devil will give you, and, and, and put that thought in your head, that there are some shortcuts to having a deep, true relationship with God that if you just learn a few catchphrases and wear the right t-shirt and listen to the right you know, Christian soundtrack, the most up-to-date, if you just you know, pull these few strings, say the right thing, bam! It's almost like spiritual steroids. Come and get a quick injection on Sunday, woo, get worked up, and, but you're, not, you're skipping all the hard work. Sometimes you have to do a little digging and a little waiting Sometimes you have to watch and pray, and that takes time. I heard this story years ago. Maybe you've heard it as well. A skylark, does everybody know what a skylark is? A skylark is a, is a bird, a kind of bird. This teenage skylark is flying to school one day, and he's a bit hungry, but this particular teenage skylark doesn't like digging in the ground for worms. He's a bit lazy, he likes worms, he's a skylark, but he doesn't like the digging. And as he's flying to school one day, he hears a merchant man standing on the side of the road, and this merchant man has a big box full of big fat juicy worms, and the merchant man is crying out on the side, two worms for a skylark feather, two worms for a skylark feather. And that skylark says, two worms for just one feather? Hey, man, this is a good deal. And he flies down to the merchant, and he says, Say it again, sir. He said, Two worms for a feather. He said, Just one feather? No problem. He takes one feather out, hands it to the guy. He gets two big, fat, juicy worms. Flies to school. He says, Man, that was a good deal. Hope I find him tomorrow, because that means I don't have to dig. Because every day, you know, normally I have to dig. Night. No, he didn't have to dig at all. Just one feather. He, the next day, he's flying to school, and Two worms for a skylark feather, and down he flies. He said, Man, I was hoping I'd find you again. Man, you're like an answer to prayer. What? Here, takes that feather out. Two more worms. Big, fat, juicy ones. Well, this goes on for several weeks. And eventually one day that skylark heads out. Man, he just can't fly as high as he used to. He's getting a bit plump, you know. Getting that spare tire, <laughs> plus he's losing feathers, so he can't keep himself up in the air. And he finds himself kind of dragging down the path. He can't even fly to the merchant anymore. And he says, "You know what, one more time, I got just enough takes out one more. Go go. Down they go. Man, he barely made it to school. He had to take a taxi to get back. <laughs> Skylark taxi. It's my story. I can tell it however I want. <laughs> he had to go back to the Skylark. Course <laughs> there he is. And the next morning he wakes up and he realizes I, I, I can't fly proper anymore. I can barely walk down the path. Skylark feet are not meant to be on the road that much. His feet were. were bloodied and and bruised from walking everywhere and he went out to the field and he dug and he dug and he dug as hard as he could and he found as many worms as he could and he put them in a box and he he pushes that box down the path and all the way to the merchant I mean he is tired he's worn out it's a long walk because he can't fly there and he gets to that merchant and he says sir please please I brought the biggest box of worms that I could possibly find would you sell me back my feathers?" For these worms. And the merchant looked down and said, Feathers for worms? That's not the deal. Worms for feathers. That's the deal. He said, Why, you plump little skylark, if I gave you back your feathers, they wouldn't help you anyway. All you could do now is glue them on and they'd come right off. He said, You don't realize you plump little skylark. I've been fattening you up for this day. You can't get away now. And he reaches down, he picks him up, and the skylark just realized I've become his dinner. The skylark got devoured because he was too lazy to dig for the worms. He thought he'd take the shortcut, the easy way out. You don't realize that it's costing you. When, when God set up the church, when He set up the body of Christ, when He set up homes, when He set up family, He set up the workplace, all of these things require effort and work and attention and time and patience. And sometimes you cannot go the convenient path to get the job done. The devil will try to get you to cut corners, but one other thing, verse 9, another temptation you'll find He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. Oh, watch this part. For it is written, the devil is quoting Scripture. Do you folks realize that? The devil is quoting Scripture. He's quoting from Psalm 91. Verses 11 and 12. In verse 10, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. Uh, Wait a minute, Mr. Devil, you didn't finish. Back in Psalm 91, it says to keep thee in all thy ways. He left out that phrase, in all thy ways. That's an important part. Because when you say keep thee in all thy ways, that means as you go about, Living the life that God has told you to live, God has promised to watch over you and protect you. You take that part out, and now you can just make anything up you want. Verse 11, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest, uh uh-oh, at any time. Psalm 91 doesn't say that. The devil added those words, at any time. Lest at any time thou dash thy foot... Against a stone. Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I believe the temptation here that the devil's putting on Jesus is to misunderstand and misapply the promises and plans of God. A simple way to say it is he wants to confuse you about what the Bible says. And he'll use the Bible to do it. He's trying to get Jesus to take a leap of faith. right? In his mind, that's how he's portraying it. Take this leap of faith. This isn't a leap of faith. This this would have been a leap of well-intentioned foolishness. And it's sad to see how many Christians, well-meaning Christians that love God, The devil uses that. He he abuses that. He looks down and says, this person wants to please God, and then the devil throws all sorts of scriptures at him, but gives him a slightly altered interpretation of it. He'll give you a verse, but won't give you the context. He'll give you a verse, but he'll change a word or two. He'll give you a verse, but he won't rightly divide it. And in so doing, you trying to do what's right, you found a verse or part of a verse to back it up, but you're not getting the whole story. And you can only look at that one and go, "Shame, you meant well. But why did you jump? God never asked you to climb to the top of the temple. God asked you to go into the temple. You don't need to overcomplicate the spiritual life. Just do what God commanded you to do. There's a difference between trusting God and tempting Him. Putting yourself in positions that God never asked you to be in, that's tempting Him. Trusting Him is saying, God, this is how you told me to treat my family, my work, my home, all of those parts of life. This is how you want me to live it. I'll do it. And when things go a bit pear-shaped, because they will, then I trust that you'll watch out, watch out for me. That's what Psalm 91 is about. Not putting yourself in foolish positions and thinking God will bless it regardless just because you meant well. Years ago, William Carey, the great missionary to India, we call him the father of modern missions. Oh man, to this day, the Indian people still reverence him. Even Hindus reverence William Carey. He made such an impact in the 1600s in that country. He made a great statement. He said, attempt great things for God. And then he said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things, expect great things. I like that statement. But do not grab onto the great things and think that you can just make anything up and stick it in there. And go, well, the great thing in my mind is jumping off of a temple. (laughs) Did God say that's a great thing to do? Or is that the devil putting you in that position trying to get you to prove something to who? Who are you trying to impress? By jumping off that temple. Attempt great things, expect great things, but let the great things be something God told you to do. Can I ask you to hold your place here just for a second? I want to sh- show you the verse. Look at Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. And verse number one is where we'll begin. But at the end of chapter nine, Moses and Aaron have offered a sacrifice and fire came down from before the Lord and consumed that offering from off the altar. The people shouted and fell on their faces. This is a a mighty act of God's acceptance, right? This is a great thing. Put yourself there for a moment. You see the fire fall. This is a great thing. This, I, I want to attempt great things. I want to see God accept my sacrifice. Cain. Abel's sacrifice got taken. I, I, want, I want my fruit basket to be taken. You can't just bring God anything and expect him to take. You've you got to bring the right sacrifice. Chapter 10, verse 1. Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, put fire therein, put incense thereon, and offered. Look at the next two words. Strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. God commanded Moses and Aaron, bring this sacrifice, bring this incense, bring it in, put it on the altar. Nadab and Abihu, maybe they were trying to do something right, but they were doing it in an unbiblical way. God never commanded them to do it, and he didn't command them to bring the censer with that incense to that place. It's called strange fire. There are a lot of people on fire for God, but it's strange. And, I, and I'm, again, I want to acknowledge that the intentions are right. But it's one of the tricks of the devil to find people that love God, have good intentions, and just get them skewed so that their good intentions and their zeal and their fire gets applied in the wrong way. Verse 2, and there went out fire from the Lord, but not the kind they wanted, and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Why? Because it was strange fire. Be careful that you're not putting yourself on the pinnacle of certain temples. Trying to prove something to whom? The best way to impress God, listen, is to obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Just trust and obey. That'll be challenging enough. That'll be challenging enough. Quick question. If you were on the pinnacle of the temple, like physically, would you jump? Would you jump? Would any of you today climb to the top of this building and just jump? Right? Obvious question. You wouldn't do that. Right? You certainly don't want to do that with your soul. See, we look at that and we think climbing to the top of a very tall building and jumping, that's just foolish. That's pushing the boundaries of trusting God. Now we're into tempting God because God never promised to protect me when I do something foolish like that. Then why would you do it with your soul? Why would you get to the very end of your life and there you stand with only your fruit basket, Cain, with all your good works going, God surely I've done enough so that you will give me eternal life. Surely this is enough. I'm about to jump out of time into eternity. Out of the physical into the spirit. So I'm, I'm about to make this great leap from life into death. You'd better know that when you take that step from life to the next life, Right? From life, death, and then standing before God, don't don't appear before the Lord and say, now Lord, I did the best I could. I think this is enough. Surely you'll be impressed with this. That might just be strange fire. God might look at that and say, now wait a minute, I told you that you must be born again. That's what I said. I said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I said, if any man calls upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved. I told you how to be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Now, sir, ma'am, how can you expect to stand before God one day and say, I never did what you told me to do? I wasn't born again. I didn't. I had a different path. I had my own way of doing it. I had my own church and my own culture. You're not going to stand before God and convince Him that your way is just as good as His. You would not jump off the building today and risk your life like that. Don't risk your soul. One of the tricks of the devil is to make you think, well, I can just go about life however I want and God will accept me. I can jump off into eternity trusting whatever I want and God's hand will just reach down and snatch me up and he'll accept me. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. We see in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Hopefully today you've learned a few things of how the devil might actually be poking around in your life. And I hope by the grace of God you've learned something that you can apply. But just be aware of the fact this isn't a once-off. I've learned today. I'll pray today. I'll fix it today. I'll leave and then it's done. I hope what you've learned sticks with you today. You keep that armor of God on and be ready, not to be afraid, to be ready. The next time the devil comes around, you can stand and confidently say, no, no, the Bible says. It is written. I'm determined to do it God's way. Let's all stand if you would. Heads bowed and eyes closed. give you a moment to think on what you've heard today and decide what you need to do about it. And we sang it earlier, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. That's the natural, that's the temporary. Thou mine inheritance now and always. God, you are the goal. You are the prize, not the kingdoms. I don't want to prop my ladder up against those small achievements. I count all that but dung that I may win Christ. That's what Paul said. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Jesus had all the right intentions. Do not think that because you mean well, the devil's going to leave you alone. Jesus had to learn these lessons to prepare him for all the challenges that lied ahead. You can overcome them, Christian. You don't have to fall to those tricks in just a moment I'll pray and we'll close and let you guys go home perhaps as somebody here today maybe you're on one of those pinnacles of a temple somewhere trusting what you think God would want you've, you've made up your version of what is pleasing to God Maybe today you've realized, you know, I've, I have never asked Jesus Christ to save me. I've never been born again. I'm not going to embarrass you. I will not point you out. I just want to pray for you. So if that's you, would you be willing to just slip your hand up? You can do it just now. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, just pray for me. I'm, I'm not sure. If I were to step off into eternity today, I'm not sure. That I would be accepted by God. Anybody like that? Say, Pastor, pray for me. All right, I appreciate your honesty. Father, we know that this uh, spiritual battle is real. And Lord, we can't expect, uh, there's no shortcuts to this. We have to put on the armor and stand and fight and be ready father we thank you for the great protection you have promised us and you have promised us grace in time of need Lord help us to properly understand those promises and to know exactly how you want us to worship you we want to do it right and we pray Lord that if if we've gotten off out of balance somewhere Maybe we've misunderstood something. You'd just guide us into all truth. Please, Lord. We want to do it right. I pray that, Father, you'd continue to work in our hearts throughout this afternoon into this evening. Please don't let those fowls of the air grab the seed that has been sown. Please continue to work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. Lord willing, tonight, if you'd like to come, six o'clock Bible school,